there's many male Panthers in various parts of the country, but a lot is a pivotal role played by Panther women. Moreover, the importance of Black Panther women and what many consider the Black Power Movement. Most pertinent organizations is well documented. Only recently, no one has highlighted the importance of fully incorporating women in the struggle for Black liberation in France alone to maintain we must guard against the danger of perpetual defuelal tradition which holds sacred the superiority of the masculine elements over the feminists. The known words are prominent, but for many Panther men, this was more easy said than done. No matter how good one intentions, the women question was not something that was a problem for us. The women did everything everyone did. We even took talking practice alongside the men. You just heard a passage from the book, The Portland Black Panthers, Empowering Albana and Remaking a City by Lucas N. M. Burke and Jetson L. Jeffries. The book is one of the most comprehensive books that I have read. It was first copyrighted in 2016 at the University of Washington Press. I'm very, very honored to be able to present Ken Ford and discuss this book that is one of the most comprehensive research books of its type. First of all, thank you for having me, OB. I'm going to read from page 108, chapter 3. The Pellas also received phrases from Margona reporter Bill Keller wrote in a new article, the breakfast of most oily in meals in most cafeterias, even a soft drink machine in the church annex is, is taped up each morning so that children won't spend their lunch money. Some former participants of the breakfast program have vividly memories of that time. Olin Robinson, who was regular at the free breakfast program, remember every time I see Mr. Ford to this day, I think him doing that breakfast program. When asked what she remembers about the free breakfast program, Kim Green, who is now in the mid-50s, said, I remember being happy whenever I went there. Nathan Cross, another Martin Luther King, King Elementary School graduate, explains, I love going to the breakfast program. I went there for about two years straight. I remember Mr. Ford used to talk to us about staying in school, doing the right thing our lives together. I look forward to seeing the Panthers. They always had something positive to say. Well, Bina, the breakfast program was not only a blessing, it was also an important element in, in breaking the cycle of poverty and dependence on government brochures distributed by the NCCF point to the circuit logic of poverty. They tell us, you're home because you're poor. You're poor because you haven't got the best job. You can't get the best job because you're uneducated. You're uneducated because you didn't learn in school because you were interested. And every time the teacher mentioned five apples or six bananas, your stomach rolled. How can a person learn about remembering and quoting when his mind is concerned on a very real and concrete problem? Again, that's from the book of the Portland Black Panthers. Mr. Ford. My name is Patricia Welch. I'm one of the co-hosts, and it's an honor to have you on the show and to speak to you. I'm curious, 
how did this book come about? I mean, how did you meet the authors or they, you? It's interesting that it's, uh, what is it, University of Washington, not one of the Oregon universities. So could you tell us a little bit about how this came to be? Well, he's a, a Dr. Uh, Jeffries, professor of African American Studies at Ohio State University in, okay. in Columbus, Ohio. I, I get a call from him from uh, talking to he, 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 he did some more books, books on the Black Panther Party, and I uh, got a call from him, and uh, I didn't know him, never never seen him before, and, and get acquainted with him and, and uh, see how he was going to approach this book. He interviewed uh, just about 90 people other book from the Portland area and people who lived here at the time and went to other cities. Mr. Ford, my name is Emma Ford. We're so glad you said yes to our show. You were reading about the breakfast program for Portland Public Schools. Now, was this before Portland Public Schools had a sponsored breakfast program by the district? Yeah, um, we're going back to 1969, 1970, 71, 72, uh, all through the late 60s and 70s. That's the area, we, area we're talking about, you know, the closing of the 1960 decade and the beginning of the 1970 decade. And uh, the party fed, fed over 30,000 kids a, a week, uh, a month. And at uh, one time, we were feeding more kids than the government was. And was this only at Highland, which later became King School? No, it was uh, Highland Elementary School then. And uh, I, I'm well, we're sitting, in, sitting right here in a room now. Uh, after Dr. King's assassination in 68, uh, the city got into Martin Luther King business, you know, when it started, it was a good idea to rename streets and buildings and stuff like that. And this was the predominant uh, elementary school in the neighborhood, and they, and they decided to approach it uh, this way. And we used to come up, you know, and, uh, and tell the kids, you know, and give them a little leaflet where the breakfast group was going to be at. And it was, it was a stunning success from, from the very beginning. Now, in addition to the um, free breakfast program, you, you also had a, a clinic medical clinic. Could you explain how that came about? Yeah, I think so, B. Uh, I got a call one day from a young man uh, who was in a group called Health Rap from Reed College and uh, John Moscow, and he was asking about a health clinic, and I immediately signed on with him, and we got the doctors, and we got the uh, nurses and a support staff and we were open five nights a week and on Saturday Saturdays we had a well baby clinic and uh, the clinic was open from 7 to 10 o'clock in the evenings and it was uh, staffed with uh, physicians uh, all the specialties uh, internists pediatricians so orthopedics and uh, they came out to the clinic and uh, sometimes it wouldn't get out until midnight Here's my question. I mean, these were tumultuous times. You know, I was alive and well during that period, though not here in Portland. How did you become a Panther? How did you become involved? Why did you choose that path as opposed to, I don't know, whatever other options there were at the time? And there were a lot. Uh, thanks for that 
question. I came into the party via the peace movement and the, and the, and the Vietnam War movement. And the party was the only black organization that was against the Vietnam War. And that's how I ended up there. We formed alliances. Uh, you know, we would fight racism with solidarity and a multiracial, multicultural, multiethical. And that's what, that's what we've done. You, you take uh, at the Hill Clinic, we had over 30 doctors. And all of them, all the doctors were white. The, the, the women as well as the men doctors. They came out right in the core area of the neighborhood and worked until sometime until midnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the city had completely written off that area. And we call it, we call it the low end today. And uh, we, back then, that's what, that's what we got, everybody on the streets called it, the down on the low end. You know? So everything kind of came together now and then. And the Portland chapter was the only chapter to have a, a free uh, dental clinic. So those are the things that really drew you in particular. Well, part of social programs, uh, you know, you know, legal aid clinics and uh, social programs, and we had a ten-point platform and program, and then platform number seven, we want to immediately end the police brutality and murder of black people. That was written in 1966 by some open uh, married uh, college students. And that's more valid today than was written over, over, over 50 years ago. And uh, ever since 2015, during the Obama administration, they've been uh, tracking these police murders in America. And every year is uh, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. And that's every year. There's a, there's a website you can go to and, and check these facts. And uh, what I want to say is... Uh, in the whole European Union last year, only only, t- only t- ten people got dusted by the police. I know that's a, that's always a valid call to prevent violence against black people. Other than the medical clinic and the breakfast program, what other activities did the Panthers here in Portland do? Were there organized protests? Uh, what kind of things happened? We did the uh, protests, you know, in uh, like in a period of 1970, that was a 14-month period. We had six black people killed by the police. Where did the police go take refuge, uh, you know, to reestablish their image and stuff and and everything? Because, you know, we we, we were embedded in the neighborhood. We were brought brought up and raised here. Most of us worked here in in the community. And, and they just had a bad name. They couldn't, they, the reputation got so bad, they couldn't recruit here uh, in the Portland area to, for, for people to come into the Portland Police Department. They had to go into the military to get, to get uh, black men and women to come in into the armed services. So the police department had to recruit outside of Portland to have new police persons? Yeah, so to get minorities to come in, uh, to be on a, a Portland police force. Now, the mayor at that time was Terry Strunk, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, what type of uh, relationship was established with uh, city council and, and the, the mayor? That's part of the problem right there, you know. He he had, he had wanted us to stay in our traditional place and uh, sell it at Vietnam War business. See how the Black Power movement and 
continuing to, you know, to uh, do the service work in the, in the Portland area. And, you know, he was, he was an old school, uh, North, North Portland uh, resident, I'm pretty sure. And uh, other than that, if you stayed, if you stayed on that, that avenue of playing with him, you, you know, everything was okay. They wanted everyone to go along to get along. But he was, uh, you know, uh, racist and uh, back to police 100%. And no matter what they done, every time you go down and confront him about it, justifiable homicide. And that's what it was. They go to the grand jury, and uh, that was pretty much it. And if you guys, uh, you know, you can check, you can check the facts. You can check, check the history on this. Now, I was going to say, well, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and have, you know, I mean, just reading the book, you can see the facts. But my question is, OK, this was in the 70s. When you look around Portland today, do you think that there's still a role? You know, there's still room for the role that the Panthers played. I mean, this is many years later, but um, I question whether it's many years better. Well, yeah, uh, I agree with it on that. The problem that we have uh, here now, you know, you take uh, post-George uh, Floyd. He's one of the largest uh, protests in, uh, in American history, back in 200 for being uh, 8,000. And not only here, but but the rest of the United States and all over the world. And uh, we have reporters here from... European countries, France, England, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, uh, the Nordic countries, and uh, we had every major newspaper and magazine here in Portland. Uh, for over 100 nights, we sustained and maintained the struggle. Even uh, George Floyd's brother gave us a shout out. And uh, they're doing uh, the trial for his brother, mm-hmm. uh, the, the policeman that, 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 that uh, tested his brother. But I would still say, do you think the climate, the racial climate, the social climate for people of color, do you think it's very, very different than it was back in the 70s? Because some people would say no. But, but, you know, that's just one perspective. So, I mean, when you look around post-George Floyd, what do you see? What do you feel about how it is comparing Portland to, then to now? And that, that was... Uh, uh... Who was it, the uh, Lenin, who said, you know, sometimes uh, decades go by and nothing happens. Then sometimes uh, uh, week, week, weeks go by and decades happen. That's pretty much what happened, you know, post-George Floyd, Beyond Taylor, uh, 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 Martin, and, uh, and a host of other people. And what do they run and try to find refuge, uh, young lady, uh, they, they run. They run to the church, the black churches, to the, to the ministers, and try to get refuge. And they run to the traditional black organizations, and uh, to, to support them. And uh, you know, we had a, uh, we had a uh, when we after George Floyd, that, that was a Caucasian lady that was a police chief here overnight. Had a black police chief, and he's still chief. Mm-hmm. And with that said, you know, and uh, the ministers show up after the uh, justice center. On a statute of Dr. King, who's to uh, uh, in one of the most predominant black organizations to support the uh, police. That was uh, after the uh, uh, Tyree Nicholas beating death in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, you know, trying to see where I'm going with this. And uh, that's, I, I appreciate the question. And that's pretty, that's pretty much where it's at. And, uh, and, and you, look at, you look at it in the last five decades, they've always ran to the black church. Uh, they try to run all their murders through there. The, family, the ministers uh, have their funerals there. And they know if anything's going to happen, it's going to be very minimum. Uh, as long as you go through this church or this church, then the preachers go downtown with their hands out and get the, get the check or the money with the, with the envelope in it. So some things have not changed. Well, yeah. And then uh, to add to that, and what, what, and what did they run uh, after uh, the protest? They ran to their old, old friends and co-hosts at the Portland State Black Studies Department. You know, that's, that, that's, that, that's uh, pro-police, and uh, most 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 of the guys down there don't even know what the city is doing to them. So, Mr. Ford, I know you were one of the co-founders, but are there any from the original Black Panthers group here in Portland still alive? Sure. Oh yeah, thanks for that question. I'm not the last man standing. I have a couple of a couple of brothers and sisters are still here. Did they assist you in writing the book? Yes, they did. They interviewed. There's interviews with uh, a half a dozen of the uh, party members in the book. I was reading that there was a building at Cook and MLK that was used for maybe it was the medical clinic for a while. What's there now? Nothing. Uh, excellent question. It's just an empty, empty land that was uh, done by the Portland Development Commission, which is Prosperous Portland now. And uh, they were going to develop that land and expand Emmanuel Hospital. And it was, and it was just uh, kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, the hospital was the uh, villa and the surrounding the hospital was the jungle. So what do you do? You get rid of the jungle. How did it happen that Portland Public took over the breakfast program? Actually, uh, they started that program two weeks after we started ours. The okay. governor at the time was a good governor. He went on statewide TV and announced that all Portland Public Schools is going to have a breakfast program. But the kids came, still came to our program. That's just, uh, we implement things and and then this, this, this government takes it over. We did over 100,000 sickle cell tests nationwide. Went in the public schools and done sickle cell tests. Mm-hmm. Even the U.S. military wasn't doing people, uh, doing uh, the black uh, recruit, new black recruits. They weren't taking sickle cell tests on them. And then they, something happens to them, they go in a crisis, and they realize what it is, sickle cell anemia. So we did the education, we did the testing, and, then, and, and it, it, it's preventable. So you're retired now, right? Yeah, yes, I am. And are you working in the community at all, uh, volunteer work? I do volunteer work and I do walking tours, uh, Black Panther Party walking tours, or where we had the breakfast, the health clinic, the dental clinic, and where our first office was and our second office. You can probably go online and pull that up. And uh, we do that with a group called Vanport Mosaic. Yes. 
we uh, we probably have two, two or three walking tours a month. Uh, okay, I'm I'm the official timekeeper, so we have room for one more question. So, V, since we have you to thank for uh, this interview, you want to have the last question? My next door neighbor in grade school ended up marrying Kent. Uh, her maiden name was Trigg, Sandra Trigg, and she became very involved along with Kent in the Black Panther movement. In fact, on the cover of the book is her picture holding a sign. And I, I'd recommend everybody uh, getting a copy of this book, which can be purchased at the uh, Third Eye Bookstore now. The local chapter of the Black Panther Party lasted for a little over 10 years, a little over a decade. And finally, people began to uh, subsidize, or should I say copy, what they were doing in order to force them out of business. Could you uh, comment on, on that and what happened and how long did those programs stay in after they had tried to uh, put you out of business? We sustained these programs for a little over 10 years. Uh, the dental clinic, breakfast program, and as well as the uh, health clinics. And it was kind of like a foundation for uh, other groups. And uh, today you have, you know, the mutual aid people. You have groups called Street Roots. And uh, they pretty much implemented a lot of these programs, you know. Well, I'd like to thank you very, very much for coming here and sharing with us today uh, the book, The Black Panthers, Portland Black Panthers in Power in Albana and Remaking a City. Thank you for having me. This is KBOO Black Book Talk. See you next month. Hey.